When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Rex Factor is sponsored by Wine 52. Do you fancy a free case of wine from Argentina, Ali? I would. And I'll tell you who else would like some. Who Who is that one who drowned his brother in a vat of wine? Edward IV. Edward IV. That's the chap. Yeah, one for you, one for me, and one for Edward IV. How about the listeners? Well, there's good news on that front because our good friends at Wine52 are offering them a case of exceptional wines from the historic region of Mendoza for free. All they need to do is go to www.wine52.com forward slash rex and cover the postage cost of £9.95 and they'll get three bottles delivered right to their door. I like it, Graham. I like it a lot. Tell me about these Wine52 fellows. They are all about showcasing the very best wine from a different region each and every month. This month's Argentinian selection included Gallon Vineyards El Martillo, which is a beautiful dark Garnet red with aromas of blackcurrant and cassis. Full-bodied and elegant, this perfect wine offers hints of cocoa and deep toasty notes in the finish. Well, that all sounds very, very nice, but this is a history podcast, Graham, and I want to know about the history of this wine I'm going to be drinking with Edward IV. Fear not, they've got you covered there as well. With the wine comes the Glug magazine, which will take you through the wines, vineyards and Mendoza's remarkable winemaking history. You have the choice of a mixed red-only or white-only case and two tasty snacks are included too. Well, sign me up. How how do I sign up? Just go to www.wine52.com forward slash rex and cover the postage cost of £9.95 and you'll get three bottles delivered right to your door. After your free case, you'll join the monthly wine club. No minimum commitment. If it's not for you, pause or cancel at any time. So that's wine then the numbers 52.com forward slash rex to claim your free case of delicious wine today. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, the Six Wives of Henry VIII, live at Ludlow. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where today, well, I suppose we are reviewing uh, some of the uh, several of the Queen and Prince Consorts of England from Elswith to uh, Prince Philip. We're not doing one of our normal episodes. We were hoping this week to be releasing uh, the first of the Stuart Consorts, albeit he's technically the last of the Tudors, in the form of Philip II of Spain, Consort to Mary I. But didn't quite get time to do that because uh, we had a lovely weekend away doing a live show at Ludlow. It really was a lovely weekend away. Yeah, aside from your um, horrific injury and illness combo, that. Uh... But I mean, uh, my my memory, oh, I mean, famously is is patchy at best. But it was just of having a lovely time listening to the ashes and meeting nice folks in a beautiful setting. Hmm. Lud- Ludlow, 
10 out of 10. <laughs> so it didn't quite get time to finish our Philip the Second episode, but we thought we could just use our live show in Ludlow and release it for you at this time so that you've still got something to listen to. And that acts as a nice... Uh, to tie up the Six Wives miniseries with the live show in which we reviewed all six wives. And then the audience voted for who they thought was the best of the six wives. On reflection, Graham, this is a really nice way to tie up yeah. a big uh, series within the overall narrative. It is. It'd be nice if we could do a live show at the end of every miniseries where we could just tie up and... Yeah. Who is the best of each house? Yeah, exactly. So if you are a, uh, a lovely venue that would like us to uh, come and t- talk all about the Stuarts for you in a couple of months, then uh, please get in touch. I mean, if it, historical market towns are preferred, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we have got for you the entirety of our live show. So have a listen now to our live episode reviewing all of the six wives and uh, to hear who... Uh, the live audience in Ludlow thought was the best. Thank you very much, I should say, to Louise and Siobhan, who did the counting of the votes, and who, in the heat of the moment at the end, when I intended to say thank you, I just thought, oh no, I'm going to get the names wrong, so just pointed in their area and said, thanks for the votes, which (laughs) the audio could be anybody. (laughs) And special thanks, you should say, to Laura, who came all the way from New York to come and watch. Yeah. Anyway... Enjoy our live episode on the Six Wives of Henry VIII. Next week, we will definitely be doing Philip II of Spain. So we'll be right into the next miniseries after this. Tupa. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. And uh, thank you very much for coming uh, to see us today. Apologies about that little delay there. Unfortunately, I'd forgotten to take the password off my laptop so we couldn't play the music. So that was Not I guilty. <laughs> Not guilty. Nothing to do with me. Very satisfying. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, I'm Graham. I'm Ali. And we present the Rex Factor podcast where we review kings and queens in uh, history. Our first series, we did the English monarchs. Second series, the Scots. And we're currently doing the Queen and Prince Consorts of England. And we've just done the Six Wives of Henry VIII, which is why today, having spent uh, about nine hours reviewing them on the podcast, today we're going to attempt to do all six in one which might be a bit of a tall order, but I think hopefully we should manage it. Well, so I'll keep interruptions at a minimum then. Is that <laughs> the idea? Good. And you might need to, because if Annie at any point suddenly looks racked with pain and grabbing his chest, he's probably not having a heart attack. He's just managed to combine an unlikely chest injury with a chest infection. So, so. Yes. So I, I, I cracked a rib, but you'll find out how on Tuesday talks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what we're going to be doing is we'll go through uh, the life story of each of the queens uh, of Henry VIII, and then we have a number of factors that we score them by, so we'll go through each one and have a, have a debate about who we think sort of does best in each, and then at the very end, we're going to be asking you to help decide who you think was the greatest of the six wives. There'll be some voting slips uh, for you to fill in and let us know who you think. So, onwards. Yeah. Now, I'm going to get Ali. You have to probably keep your movements to a minimum uh, so yeah, as not to I've set your chest off. I think I'm going to be like, like an owl, mostly, tonight, <laughs> just doing this. That's, that's relatively pain-free. So, <laughs> sorry if I lock off. <laughs> so, the first of your is biography. Oh, I can't do the hands. No. Biography! 
so we're going chronological order. So the first of Henry VIII's six wives was, of course, Catherine of Aragon. Yes, yes very, very you. good. Uh, Catherine of Aragon was born on the 16th of December 1485, the daughter of the acclaimed monarchs who created Spain by their marriage, Isabella of Castile and Ferdinand of Aragon. Highly educated, Catherine uh, spent her formative years in the magnificence of the Alhambra in southern Spain, but in 1501 she was lucky to get to leave there and come to sunny, sunny England. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and it looked like, you know, beautiful king, uh, prince, rather, at that point. It was all good. Indeed, she came to marry the eldest son of Henry VII, which wasn't Henry VIII. Oh, was yeah. Prince uh, Arthur. The point of here. Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. And they did indeed live here in Ludlow. Oh, right. I did she did as well. She did as well. She did go with her husband. There was a legend that I think the. Um, just opposite the road was where they suggested that she was, but apparently that wasn't built till the 1570s, so she was probably somewhere in the environ of the castle. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. We were in the footsteps yeah. of Catherine of Aragon. Uh, so they didn't get much time in Ludlow together, sadly, because Prince Arthur died just a few months later, and Catherine is then left to fend for herself as uh, Henry VII and her father Ferdinand squabble over money. Mm -hmm. But she shows her mettle, and Ferdinand appoints her in 1507 ambassador um, for Spain, which made her the first female ambassador in European history. That was the best Rex fact of the series. Wasn't <laughs> it? I'm probably going to say that a number of times, but I really yourself. enjoyed that. Uh, and her fortunes changed much more in 1509 when Henry VII dies, and the new king, who is young, tall, handsome, cultured, a wonderful, peaceful man, Henry VIII, becomes king. Yeah. Uh, he marries Catherine straight away. They have a magnificent double coronation. Seems to have been a genuine love match uh, at first, and she's also one of his chief advisers, even being regent for the country while Henry uh, was away campaigning in France. Unfortunately, though, despite having numerous pregnancies, Catherine and Henry only have one child, uh, which is a girl, Mary, and Henry doesn't think that's good enough. He thinks he needs to have a son, and he's convinced that God is punishing him for marrying his brother's widow. Right. He didn't always think that, though, did he? Well, he didn't initially when he married her, obviously. No, he was well up for it at the start. <laughs> he was very much okay. fine with it All then. Right, but just checking on the, tr the truth narrative, it's already getting lost. <laughs> but, you know, I guess evidence has demonstrated mm -hmm. that he was mistaken. Mm -hmm. So, okay. 1527, Henry announces that the marriage was invalid and he was appealing to the Pope to have it annulled. Yeah, uh, uh, what was going I'm reading a book. Was it Tuesday Talks or something where um, it... This was going on at the same time. Catherine de Medici. Yes, yes that, that was yes. a special episode that yes, we did on yes, the podcast. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I knew I'd heard it recently, <laughs> and I didn't know whether it was from you or from a different audio book. It's always something. good when you tell me a bit of trivia, which is something that I told you about <laughs> yeah. two weeks ago. Well, I know you're going to get it right and uh, correct me. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on in Europe at this time, including yeah. Catherine uh, de Medici in France. Um, Catherine is devastated by this. Catherine of Aragon, that is. Don't think Catherine de' Medici was particularly bothered. Oh, yeah. um, but Catherine of Aragon doesn't uh, just take this line down. She proves an implacable foe for Henry, uses her family connections to the Holy Roman Emperor, um, as well as her no own nous, to rebut all of Henry's efforts. So it takes a very long six years before he's able to make any headway. Right. Henry being Henry, of course, changes the rules when he can't beat Henry, uh, can't beat Catherine. So <laughs> that's 31. true, though. When he can't beat Henry, he the unstoppable force yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So 1531, Henry uh, dismisses Catherine from court. They never see each other again. And then 1533, he breaks from the Church of Rome, makes himself supreme head of his own church, Wicked. Church of England, nice. and that allows him to get his bishops to just declare the marriage invalid. Yeah. 
Good. I mean, easy. All done. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, after that, sadly, Catherine's final years are spent in increasingly miserable uh, isolation. Very cruelly, Henry doesn't let her see her daughter Mary again yeah. after that separation. Uh, and Catherine dies on the 7th of January, 1536, at the age of 50, which uh, remarkably is the longest lived of any of Henry's wives. Mm. Obviously, many of those, Henry is directly responsible for the... Uh, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but the last one, what happened, how long did she, even longer than her? Uh, yes, uh, even you know, Catherine Parr survived, doesn't survive as long as Catherine Aragon did. Wow. Mm. She's quite surprisingly cool in many ways, Catherine <laughs> Aragon, is she? Well, surprising for me, anyway. Uh, now, one of the ones that had uh, Henry directly impacted the longevity was, uh, of course, Anne Boleyn, the woman who displaces Catherine. Mm. Uh, she is the niece to the very powerful Duke of Norfolk, uh, scored at the highly cultured courts of Margaret of Austria and then King Francis I of France. Uh, Anne embraces French culture and fashions, as well as being exposed to new ideas of religious reform. So when she comes back to England at the age of about 21, in 1522, uh, she makes an immediate impression. She is uh, witty, very well cultured, and she's got a certain French chic, which makes her stand out. Yeah, she would have, she would have had the Hollywood chewing gum from going abroad <laughs> as a teenager, <laughs> being so cool about yeah. it. And sure enough, by 1526, she's caught the eye of Henry VIII. Um, unlike previous lovers that Henry had had, Anne refuses to be his mistress. She will be wife or nothing. Yeah. Which is quite an extraordinary demand to make, but incredibly, it works. So but Henry decides he will marry her. Is it though like he would have had a load of mistresses? He'd had mistresses before, but he is so entranced by Anne. You know, he's writing love letters to her and he hates writing. He never bothers to write, and yet he's <laughs> pouring out dodgy poetry to Anne. Uh, so, it, and so right from the start, we've got an, we can assume this is like a, a method that Anne's using to. For a long game. We don't know whether that's what she really meant to happen or Was whether he just kept enticing him, but either way, it does develop and it's a full-on uh, love affair. Henry is besotted with Anne, but of course, Catherine Aragon makes it very difficult uh, to get married. But it is really Anne who helps to find a way through the stalemate because she introduces Henry to some of those uh, reformist religious texts. Um, which state that kings should be supreme head of religion in their country rather than popes and bishops. That is a handy school of thought. Exactly. Henry very much likes the sound of that, mm. so he's now got a spiritual justification for taking action, but he still needed a little bit of a push. So in 1532, Anne finally sleeps with Henry, yeah. which she hasn't done up to that point. Okay. Uh, yeah. Falls pregnant, and then Henry now needs to get a shift on because they need to get married in case the child is born illegitimately. And, it's a, and if it's a boy... Exactly, he's got to be boy, got mm. to be legitimate, so they get married. And in 1533, uh, Anne is crowned Queen of England, the only consort to be crowned with St. Edward's crown, ah. usually reserved for the monarch. Oh, isn't... Uh, like, would have been far, far too big, wouldn't it? <laughs> would look ridiculous. <laughs> why did they do that? Okay. Weird. I, yeah, I've got a problem with crowns anyway. I don't know why they're so... They have to be... I don't know why I have to be there. <laughs> like, what is it? I know we've done this on that Tuesday talk. Was it Tuesday talk? The history of the coronations, when we were talking about the coronations. Yeah, I'll have a listen. I'll <laughs> go, I'll out, and then I'll come back to you on that. I want to explore that further. So she's queen. That's all very nice, except unfortunately, as far as Henry's concerned, the child turns out to be a girl, Elizabeth. So not quite what he was hoping for. Yeah. Anne's forcible personality also leads to uh, lots of rows with Henry. Uh, during their marriage and during her reign. And then in January 1536, Anne miscarries a son on the very day of Catherine's funeral. Oh, God, that would have been like... 
Imagine this, the myths and stories that would have swirled around that. Laced Horrible. with symbolism. Yeah. Uh, Henry Grimley observes, I see that God will not give me male children. So far, yeah. Yes. I mean, that's not just a general observation. That's him coming into the room in the immediate oh, aftermath. No. And that's his word of comfort. Oh, not, no. As the oh, case may cool be. Man. Now, Anne's got many other enemies at court, but her most serious clash comes with Thomas Cromwell, Henry's chief minister, mm. when she attacks his policy. E. Cromwell the Cromwell of uh, the dissolution of the monasteries. Cromwell cynically exploits some unguarded conversations that Anne has with some of the male courtiers uh, over one particularly unfortunate weekend. Um, and he charges her with adultery with five men, one of whom is her own brother. That, like, if you're building a case, and in fact you'd make it that strong, mm. it makes it less believable, yeah. doesn't it? One's enough. Yeah. Maybe lose the brother. Yeah, just uh, so she slept with who? Him? Him? Uh, you're making this up. <laughs> it's exactly how that conversation would go. Well, it's fine because he doesn't really have to convince the judge or face any kind of defence uh, lawyer. It's really just whatever case he puts forward is what they're going to decide. Oh, it's, really, it's really handy being king, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Job still open? <laughs> handy for Henry, not so Henry, uh, handy for Anne. Because no. on the 19th of May, 1536, aged just 35, Anne is beheaded on Tower Green at the Tower of London. But Henry did mercifully arrange to have a French swordsman to do the deed. I still find that so shocking. Mm. As an end to a, essentially an argument. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so grisly. It is. And he did it very early as well, like quite early on in the legal proceedings, Henry was starting to make those arrangements. A good couple of weeks before she was actually charged and found guilty, Henry was already I mean, that's amazing. You somehow expect it of the Romans. It's so long ago, it's just unfathomably weird. But this middle bit where you recognise <laughs> <laughs> you recognise the cities, the names, and it's all... Indeed. Yeah, just too, too odd. So, that was the end of Anne Boleyn. Number three. Oh, God, uh, hang on. Uh, I forgot to test you last yeah, time. Yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> Catherine Howard? Not quite. Oh. Uh, divorce, beheaded, divorce, beheaded, died. Oh, so the one he fell in love with who was... Catherine Howard. <laughs> so Jane Seymour's wife. <laughs> oh, oh God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't it really the thing is, Henry likes to fall in love with all of his wives. That's his little quirk. Yeah, he's strangely romantic. Like strangely that. romantic yeah. until he stops being romantic, and then it goes quite. I'm oh, total, totally psychotic. Like massive love, and then lops the head off. Yeah. Should, I mean, this man should have no power at all, <laughs> should he? <laughs> so, third wife is, of course, Jane Seymour, born in about 1508. Um, her father's quite a peripheral figure at court um, and with some money troubles, so she has a more a parochial upbringing than uh, her predecessors and a more limited education. Mm. Um, but she does seem to have been sort of quite humble, quite pious in character, so that's probably what ultimately gets her a position at court. So, 1529, she becomes a lady-in-waiting to Catherine of Aragon, then transfers to Anne Boleyn in 1533. Do you think it, it, the attraction was that she wasn't, she, he didn't see her as a threat because he could always claim that she wasn't as educated as him? Like well, it, it does surprise people. So it's about 1536, probably after the miscarriage for Anne, that yeah. Henry starts to seriously court Jane Seymour. But as I said, it's surprising because Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn are such incredible, forceful Strong, characters. Yeah. You think, well, what has Jane got about her? She's meant to be quite plain in appearance, quite plain in personality. 
it's perhaps the contrast. Maybe Henry just liked actually mm. someone that's a bit more quiet, a bit more willing to just go along with whatever he says. Yeah, so it fits his personality. Doesn't yeah, it? this is this is easier when yeah. I did say <laughs> things, and you agree. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why I yeah. didn't think of this before. Yeah, um, but she does play Anne at her own game. So Jane does the same trick that Anne did: refuses to be Henry's mistress. She rejects gifts that he gives her, and he is exactly the same as before, completely entranced with it. Falls in love with her. His uh, affections marvelously increased when she refused his gifts. He's he's so easy to read for an absolute. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so he's very confusing and yet incredibly easy. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I have to say, it, I, in some ways, he is me. <laughs> <laughs> so Henry is determined on marriage again. He uh, gets dispensation to marry Jane on the very day of uh, Anne's execution. Oh, again, that's gross, isn't it? They actually get married uh, just over a week later. Um, but Jane is seen as a fresh start by many people at court because Catherine of Aragon is dead, Anne Boleyn is dead, so there's no doubt about the legitimacy of this marriage. Mm. So it's all quite positive. She also uh, faces limited opposition. She uh, secures the return to court of Henry's daughter Mary, having been exiled for a few years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and most importantly, of course, Jane Seymour gives birth to a healthy son, Edward. I mean, he is riding high. Exactly. He? Henry is absolutely overjoyed, but tragically, uh, just a few days later, well, 12 days later in terms of when she actually dies, Jane, some kind of infection, uh, perhaps the placenta left in the womb, something like that. A, mid a normal midwife or a common woman at that time would have probably fixed it because she had the male royal doctors. Mm. They didn't do all the stuff they should have done. So, yeah, sadly, 29 years old, 12 days after the birth, Jane dies. That's tragic. What could have been? But mm. that is then the Edward. That future. is Edward, the future yeah. Edward VI. Okay. Indeed. Uh, Henry is absolutely devastated and he doesn't marry again for three years. Well, <laughs> exactly. Wow. And to be fair, it's kind of more diplomatic reasons than personal that Henry actually steps back into the marriage arena. Um, first tries the French royal house and the Spanish royal house, the two big European powers at that time. Neither of those work, so instead he decides he wants an alliance that will protect him against both of those countries. Um, and the ideal one that he finds is a Protestant duchy that wants to break away from Spain and the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, which is the Duchy of Cleves. Now, who do you think we might be moving on to <laughs> here? Anne of Cleves. Yay! But, I mean, I think you're, is the, were they, you're giving them a rock star intro, Cleves. I mean, I only <laughs> know them because of Anne. Is, is, were they that important on the European... It's not that they're that important so much as that you've got a lot of sort of Protestant states in the Low Countries, and that's a useful area when you're thinking of Spain and France and England. Okay. So it's a link to the continent, it sort of protects you, because if you go to war and you've got an ally basically in front oh, of you, yes. they hit them first. Brilliant. All right, yeah, useful. Tick. Exactly, big it tick for Cleves. On. But Henry, as we said, is weird. He likes to fall in love with the women <laughs> that he marries. Uh, so it's, it's not as simple weird. as that. So Hans Holbein is sent to take her portrait. Yeah. Envoys report that she's got a very nice and sort of humble homely personality, maybe yeah. quite similar to Jane Seymour. Yeah. And uh, Henry, of course, decides he is besotted and in love yeah. with this woman that he hasn't actually met. Um, he's so excited that when she comes to England, he can't actually wait for their official uh, engagement when they first meet. So instead, he decides to play a little chivalric game where he and some companions will burst unannounced and in disguise into her room. 
And she will, of course, know that it's Henry immediately fall in love and it will all be lovely. I'm, I'm a fan of a harebrained scheme mm. in almost all situations, but even I would be counselling very strongly against that as an intro. <laughs> yes, because unfortunately uh, Anne doesn't recognise him and doesn't fall in love with him. Yeah, and he would be too arrogant to brush that off and take massive offence. He, he does indeed. Yeah. He complained that she is nothing so fair as hath been reported. Yeah. Uh, I like well, her not. I, uh, yeah. Mm. That's a tricky situation, isn't mm. it, to be in when... Uh, and so sure enough, on the thing. wedding night, claimed that she be no maid, which of course explained why Henry wasn't able to keep the British end up. Every turn, <laughs> he has to make some nasty little remark. <laughs> now, Anne is, of course, notoriously known uh, by many as the Flanders mayor, but yeah. it's completely untrue and unfair, this legend. Um, the portrait, uh, which is widely attested to be accurate, shows that she's you know, a perfectly uh, attractive-looking woman. Um, the phrase is actually centuries later that it comes along. Probably more likely, Henry's embarrassed about how she reacts to him. Yeah, definitely. Because he's yeah, no yeah, longer yeah. the athletic prince that he had been when... You know, it's total married. Trump world, she's ugly anyway. Exactly. Response. He's now approaching 50, increasingly overweight, and she didn't see the 17-year-old yeah. version of himself that he probably still thought everyone was yeah. looking at. Yeah, we all do. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still married. Yeah. He still they? Had to, they've had to get married. married. They have to get married. He can't get out of it. This is just like someone I knew at university who, at the time, it was really weird. He, went, he met someone online in, in Germany, and after six hours, he was fully in love. <laughs> well, I might well have been. You know, <laughs> that's where I from. And, and immediately drove over there and claimed undying love. Mm. I, I, I wish I could have said, you're just like Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, I was trying to set my brother up with someone the other day, and he was demanding to know details. I said, look, I'm not, I'm not Hans Holbein here. <laughs> I, felt, I felt so proud of myself, Graham. <laughs> you've, treated, you've taught me so well. And did he just go, what? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Didn't get yeah. the joke. Didn't get the joke. Yeah. Uh, well, the complication that you might not have had in either of these yeah. scenarios was that as well as all the other problems that Henry found, Cleves turned out to be on the verge of war with the Holy Roman Emperor, the most powerful mm. man in Europe. And that will, of course, drag England into the war by virtue of the marriage alliance. Which is why Cromwell had his... Yes, so Cromwell obviously gets the blame for putting Henry in this mess. So he is arrested, and a secret council declares that the marriage was invalid on the basis of an earlier betrothal that Anne of Cleves had had. Did she not know? Uh, well, I mean, she'd had the betrothal, nothing came of it, but nevertheless, Henry needed an excuse, so they just said, yeah, yeah, this will do. Earlier betrothal, amazing. tick. Anne still needs to give a green light to this, of course, uh, but surprisingly, she does. Says yes yeah. straight away, absolutely fine, and Henry is delighted because instead of the six years it took to annul the marriage with Catherine of Aragon, it takes just six days <laughs> with Anne Brilliant. of Cleves. Well, exactly. Um, Henry is very grateful and he gives her the title of the king's beloved sister, as well as uh, various secure pa uh, lovely palaces, a secure income. Sister? He's yes. got real problems, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this isn't fresh ground I'm turning over here, but he is, you know, someone should look at this. <laughs> Sounds fine to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's quite a good life, surprisingly, and does actually want to go back into marriage. So when Catherine Howard, that uh, a little clue for you, falls from power, Anne actually wanted to go back and hope to be uh, queen again. Yeah, shame. Mm, shame. Doesn't happen, which is probably just for the best, and she gets uh, 
quite a nice life. She stays in England after Henry's death. Uh, she has a primary role at the coronation of Henry's daughter, Mary I, in 1553. Mm -hmm. uh, because they've run out of other mothers in... What would she be? Queen mothers. Yes, or, or queen dowagers. Queen dowagers, yeah. Mm. And uh, she ultimately dies on the 16th of July, 1557. I'm only 41 years old, sadly, but... Ha you know quite what? happily, um, I think cancer, probably. Um, but unmolested by Henry and everybody else. Henry. <laughs> Isn't that, that says a lot when that's victory yes. in this game. <laughs> oh. Oh. And she is the last of Henry's wives to die. Ah, so, so hang on, something weird's going to come along here then. Yeah, you've got to yeah. get all sorts of confused. So we've already got Catherine Aragon as the oldest. Well, don't throw that in the mix. Anne of Cleves is the last to die. Yeah. So mm. the next one is extremely young. Well, the next one's nice and easy. And the next one is, of course... Catherine Howard. Catherine Howard, you've been saying all along. Uh, yes, Catherine Howard is wife number five. Um, another niece of the Duke of Norfolk. So she is actually a cousin of Anne Boleyn. Uh, I, I still, again, still absolutely agog every time. <laughs> so I'm that close to the, all of that grisly nastiness would, would go anywhere near it. I mean, she's about 20 years younger, born in about 1522. But she wouldn't have any say, right? It's like someone well, else. Well, it's quite hard, yes. If Henry asks, you kind of have to say yes, Oh, it really. wasn't Nor Norfolk? Norfolk? Norfolk pushing it. She comes to court, probably because of Norfolk, but I think it's really just Henry. Oh, okay. Takes a, takes a fancy. Oh, yeah, falls in love. Exactly. Um, Catherine, um, after her mother died when she was young, she grows up in the Lambeth household of uh, the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk, who's a relation of hers, uh, which is something of a boarding school for sort of hard-up aristocratic relatives mm -hmm. for the Howards. Uh, but naturally confident and vivacious, Catherine Howard seems to have been sort of the ringleader for lots of late-night shenanigans, so she helps uh, smuggle wine, food and boys into the household. I mean, it sounds awesome, doesn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> If you if that's you know you're part of that party, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, just aware that I'm beginning to sound like uh, <laughs> I'm giving excuses at some sort of inquiry already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. yeah. Uh, she also enters into intimate relations with uh, some of the men of the household, most significantly Francis Derham, and they refer to go. each other as husband and wife. N and he's is it like. A teacher or something? No, that? the first one, Henry Mannix, was a music teacher. Derham is just sort of a household staff. Oh, okay. Okay. Household staff? Yeah. Oh, they're, both, they're both positions of power then. They're yeah, not frowned peers. upon now. Very okay, much frowned right, upon yeah. now. Okay. Yes. Um, anyway, so she seems to get fed up with Derham and uh, thankfully is able to get rid of him just because she gets called to court, probably thanks to Norfolk. So she goes to be a lady in waiting to Anne of Cleves in 1540. As we know, Henry doesn't like Anne of Cleves very much and when 18-year-old, vivacious, pretty Catherine Howard turns up. Mm. Ooh, thinks Henry. Mm. So they get a uh, dispensation to marry uh, pretty much as soon as Anne says yes to, well, yes to no, I guess, yes to the annulment. <laughs> yeah, right. Henry is absolutely uh, besotted with her. They marry on the very day of Cromwell's execution. Has he got, it, is, it, is it his hand behind all these <laughs> coincidences? It's a bit like in Blackadder, isn't it, when they just sort of try to get all of the executions onto yeah. one day. It's like, I've got yeah. a wedding <laughs> and an execution. Let's just put them together. Yeah. It does feel like there's some great uh, like admin person in the background sorting out, but he's just had his head chopped off, so mm. it must be Henry. Yeah. Horrible. Um, is she willing, though? Are we to assume that like, she's well, just going Well, we know that him? he's besotted with her. What does she think of him? He's about 30 years her senior at this point, 
Uh, he's got a waist of 54 inches, a chest of 58 inches, and according to the Spanish ambassador, the worst legs in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I sort of want to see them. <laughs> Don't you? This is because of the jousting accident that he had oh. in 1536. So <coughs> he has ulcerated legs and they all... Yeah. Oh. You do, but he didn't, they didn't paint them at all. Pa paint them? <laughs> no, in a picture. They're like, <laughs> oh, right, no. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's not helping, it's not <laughs> helping. <laughs> oh. She probably isn't very impressed, uh, which, no. if other than drawing her own conclusions, we might take from the fact that she starts uh, an affair with one of Henry's uh, gentlemen of the Privy Chamber, Thomas Culpepper. Right. Silly, silly, silly. Yes. Now, initially, it's not actually Culpepper, but her past that catches up mm. with Catherine. So Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, is tipped off that uh, she had indiscretions in her time at Lambeth that the king had not known about. Who do we assume tipped off? Oh, it was one of the people, that, ladies that she'd been with, and her husband said, why don't you want to go to court with the queen because you've got this connection? And she said, oh, I wouldn't go to surf with her. You should hear all the stuff she got up to. And then just he did, so he told <laughs> Cranmer. Oh, no. So just gossip. Just gossip. Gossip, but yeah. true gossip. Yeah. So um, Cranmer investigates. Uh, Catherine admits to her relationships with Mannox and uh, Derham, though she denied that she had been betrothed to Francis Derham, which perhaps was a tactical error, because if she had been betrothed to Derham, that means that her marriage to Henry was illegitimate and they could oh. have just cancelled it. Yeah, yeah, missed opportunity. But she's, as I say, she's so young, she doesn't know what the right answer is at this point. Yeah. She's trying to give the answer that doesn't get her head cut off, basically, and it's not clear which one. Do you know what's weird about this is that I, always, you know, I asked, like, who... Uh, who set it up, you know, as to what aim. Mm. Um, and it's not, there's no factional politics behind the scenes here. It's just a young person being really silly. Yes, nobody really wants this to happen. No, that's what I mean. It wasn't like Norfolk, uh, someone trying to bring Norfolk down by saying, you'll never guess what. You know? Well, yeah, and that's what people assume, that Norfolk pushes her to Henry and pimps her out, basically, mm. and then Cramer brings her down. But actually, in, in neither case... Does it seem to be that way? It just sort of happens. And that sort of that punishment you can understand—the ultimate punishment for trying to work too high up the the greasy pole—but just for being a young person is a bit extreme, mm. isn't it? It's a different game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, so obviously the Howards benefit. So Norfolk and others in his family mm. get new positions at court, um, and thus Norfolk is very, you know, protective of his niece. So as soon as he hears about rumours, he declares she should be burnt at the stake. Unbelievable. Nothing to do with me, Gov. I've, it's made me look at my uncles in a different way. Hasn't <laughs> <laughs> you? Like, I mean, that's the... Uncle Norfolk, Richard III, you know. <laughs> Crikey. Yeah. Well, I'm in, I am a really good uncle. <laughs> By comparison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately for Catherine, uh, they then find out about Thomas Culpepper. I mean, she was already going... Well, I don't know, but definitely by the time Culpepper's uh, discovery comes along, yeah. that's it. Henry rages so violently that it was feared he'd gone mad. He called for his sword so that he could kill her there and then before just breaking down and blubbing in front of the entire Privy Council. Mm. And he's dignified as well, is it? Like <laughs> yes. Uh, Catherine is sent to the Tower of London. She passes under London Bridge where the heads of Derham and Culpepper are on display. Oh, that's so gross. Uh, and then she asks for the executioner's block to be brought to her room uh, so that she might see how to place herself. 
pretty smart, isn't it? Do you think you'd be that brave? I don't know. I mean, she, in her brief time as Queen, there had been a couple of quite badly botched executions, including Cromwell's. Oh, I'd like to think I'd be that brave. But that was a, I did, did we give her battling those points for that? We should have done. Possibly. Well, we can certainly credit her later okay. when we talk about that. Uh, but yeah, she is beheaded the next day, 13th of February, 1542, only about 20 years old. Horrible. Horrible, horrible. So we move on to the sixth and final wife. Uh, yeehaw, it's Catherine Parr. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Catherine Parr is born in 1512. Her parents are pretty well favoured at court. In fact, they're so... Uh, so well favoured that Catherine of Aragon is Catherine Parr's godmother, so Henry's sixth wife is literally named after his first wife. I, 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 don't, I don't understand <laughs> that. Do that one again. <laughs> he's, he's so Catherine of Aragon is godmother to Catherine Parr, and because of that, they name Catherine Parr Catherine. She's named so after that shows just how, how many years have elapsed here. Shows how many years have elapsed. It's also a bit weird, I'd suggest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me. Oh, fully. Weird. Oh, that's, that, that's way gone now. He's, he's <laughs> talking about sisters and all this sort of stuff. So <laughs> two of them are cousins. We <laughs> yeah. cut their heads off. This one was godmother to this one. This is just new boundary weird, which is why it's interesting. <laughs> that was the problem for Anne of Cleves. It's like, I just can't really place you with any <laughs> yeah. the other ones, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's no complexity. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Catherine's father dies young, and her mother dedicates herself to Catherine's education. So Catherine has a lifelong love of learning, is very intelligent, um, perhaps the best educated uh, of Henry's wives, certainly by the end of her life, because she has adult learning as well as just oh as a child. Yeah. She's always doing it, always reading. Uh, she leaves home at 1529 uh, to marry, first to the Lord of Gainsborough, and then after he dies to John Neville III, Baron of Latimer. Uh, they get caught up in 1536 with the Pilgrimage of Grace, uh, a rebellion against the dissolution of the monasteries because uh, they're based in Yorkshire, Catherine and her husband, which is where it all kicks off. Right. So Latimer's dragged out of his house by the mob to be, a, to be their leader, which is a weird thing Are to happen. So they're saying, I want you to go with us and get rid of Henry? Yes, you lead us or we'll cut your head off. So that, okay, oh, I'll probably, I'll probably <laughs> lead then. What are the hours? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Catherine is also later taken hostage by a mob and threatened with death when her husband goes to negotiate mm. in London. Uh, thankfully, both are able to come out uh, alive and they make their way down to London. I think Catherine's had enough of being up north. So they do, they do head, head the Pilgrimage of Grace? They don't head to London at the head of a marching army. The rebellion is defeated and then Catherine says, let's go to London. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. It's an odd way to introduce yourself to your future husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd love it, wouldn't he? Henry, he's weird enough. He'd love it, he'd hate it. Yeah, yes. he'd be so confused and, oh, let's marry instantly. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage and execution, same day. Excellent, <laughs> I've got the whole thing planned. And still, she didn't give me a boy. <laughs> uh, so they move down to London. In 1542, Latimer dies. Uh, Catherine becomes a wealthy widow. She gets a permanent place at court uh, by joining the household of uh, Mary, Henry's eldest daughter, who is now an adult herself. Similar age to Catherine, a few years younger. <laughs> that's, so w that's weird, isn't it? Who, uh, who's that weirder for? <laughs> oh, she doesn't know that she's yet to be... She doesn't know. No, of course, yeah. <laughs> Although I guess At she's always moment, got to totally assume fine. with any woman. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Potentially, you're going to yeah. be my new mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. Well, it's better than Catherine Howard, because Mary was older than Catherine Howard. Yeah. 
gross. But Catherine Parr isn't thinking about marrying Henry VIII. She falls no. in love with the uh, roguish, handsome Thomas Seymour, the brother of Jane Seymour, and that's who she wants to marry. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, Henry waddles into town, <laughs> notices Catherine, sends uh, Thomas Seymour off to Brussels on a diplomatic mission, <laughs> and then proposes marriage to Catherine Parr. If Becca ever gets me a ticket to Brussels unexpectedly, I'm going to say so Henry has fallen in love with Catherine, but we know, we don't usually know, we say, what do they think about him? We say, oh, we don't know. We know that Catherine doesn't want to marry Henry because she later writes about how she prays to God, hoping for a, a no answer. No, this is definitely not the thing you have to do. Uh, but God says, yes, you have a path in life. So Catherine embraces this and thinks, yes, it's my destiny to be queen. So Does she believe that? Roll with the punches, become queen, and I will do some good with being queen. Or is that just her way of explaining when she, on the record, said, I really don't want this? So when I married him instead of you, it was because God said... Oh, who are you talking about here? So Kathleen Parr. Yeah. She later tells Thomas Seymour this is what I was going to. Oh, right. Okay. No, she does. She genuinely thinks, right, my destiny to be queen, I've got a role to play, I'm going to have to deal with this. Right. So, sure enough, she does, and on the 12th of July, 1543, she becomes Henry VIII's sixth wife. And he becomes her third husband, so they're both pretty used to this, uh, <laughs> this game by now. Yeah, yeah. They're n- not a big wedding, I imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now, in contrast to the popular view of Catherine Parr, she doesn't serve as his uh, nursemaid for his final years. Yeah. They have uh, an active physical relationship, uh, and she is very active as queen. Uh, right. She establishes... Co- just, just, just leave that one to... <laughs> I feel it's like you're my dad telling me about the birds and the bees. <laughs> <laughs> but he was still hoping for children at this point. Yeah, he was yeah, still yeah, hoping yeah, for yeah, another yeah, son. Yeah. Um, other than that business, um, she also establishes close relationships with all of Henry's uh, children, the three of them that he's got, brings them all under one household. Um, she also acts as regent when Henry goes campaigning in France. Ah. As did uh, He's still campaigning. Well, yeah, he's married again. He goes off for another bit of war. But he must be a sight to behold. He did, he did, and you feel for the horse at this point, he did have to be lowered by crane onto his horse, apparently. With his manky legs. <laughs> With his manky legs. <laughs> Flapping around. Hmm. Oh. So no, it must have just been ceremonial trotting. There was no way that he was, he was <laughs> marching off. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so he could do his big speech looking glorious. Yeah, and immediately sort of take it all off again. Yeah. Not actual fighting, right? No, it basically they go and uh, besiege uh, Boulogne. Mm. I went to Boulogne Successfully. last year. Yes, yes. in it. the footsteps. Yeah. Mm. How did it go for you? Fine. They didn't know what hit them. Literally no idea I was there at all. <laughs> Probably for uh, the best. Um, all very successful. Unfortunately for Catherine, uh, she's an evangelical reformer, so a sort of full-on Protestant, um, and she thus attracts the enemies, uh, makes enemies of the Conservatives at the court. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually get an arrest warrant for her to charge her with heresy. Mm. But thankfully, she's able to secure a private meeting with Henry, submits to him, and he accepts, basically, her apology, and she survives. And that's the thing that the others didn't get that moment that with Henry. That last meeting. Which is also like uh, Elizabeth and Mary Queen of yeah, Scots. Yes. They need that. Mm. One on one time. And indeed, Catherine does survive because on the 28th of January 1547, Henry VIII dies. Ah, saved. At the age of 55. 
Uh, Catherine is disappointed not to be named regent for Edward VI, but she is now, of course, free to marry again, and she does. She marries Thomas Seymour, the man she'd been in love with before, so her fourth husband. Uh, uh, so, you know, she's yeah, getting through them as well. Um, Elizabeth, Lady Elizabeth and Lady Jane Grey both join uh, their household. Her happiness is somewhat diminished when Seymour starts an inappropriate dalliance with the young Elizabeth. So uh, Elizabeth gets sent away. But Catherine Parr finally falls pregnant and on August 1548 gives birth to a healthy girl that she calls Mary. After? After. Mm. Mm. That's nice. Uh, but sadly, Catherine falls ill with a fever and dies just six days later at the age of 36. Uh, so hence, even though Catherine Parr is the survived in the rhyme, yeah. she does actually die before Anne of Cleves. Oh dear. Mm. Uh, Lady Jane Grey is the chief mourner at her funeral. That's the first fully Protestant funeral in England. Hang on, who's that? Lady Jane Grey. Yeah, but I mean, who's that? <laughs> the one, the nine days queen. <laughs> the one who claims the throne I know, after but Edward VI dies and she'll be married. She's a whole other episode yeah, that we're not going to worry about now. Okay. Right. Anyway, those are the six wives of Henry VIII. What we will do now is review them by uh, a number of factors and see if that can help us, or rather you, decide who you think is best. So, really? first up. Do I, I'm going to say again? Mm. Uh, bat, is it? <laughs> Battleliness. <laughs> so, for each factor, we both score out of 10, so that's a possible score out of 20. Um, so we're looking at, for battliness, rather than actual fighting in a battle, because consuls don't usually get the chance to do that, we're looking for agency, independence of action, maybe a fighting sort of spirit and character. Hmm. Though obviously any actual battliness is good as well. In terms of the scores that we gave on the podcast, at the bottom we've got Anne of Cleves with zero points. Yeah. Catherine Howard with one and a half. Jane Seymour, five and a half. We then have a big jump up to Catherine Parr, with 14, Anne Boleyn 18, and top scoring was Catherine of Aragon with 19.5. That's got to be those two, hasn't it? It's a very good score. So yeah. we'll focus on the, sort of the top scorers in each mm. one for the debate, but we'll just quickly run through the lower scoring ones. Anne of Cleves almost impressed us by trying to come back as queen, which we thought was pretty impressive, given the circumstances. Well, yeah. you know, it's fighting yeah. spirit and, you know. But overall, I, that went against what I was hoping. It was against what you was hoping. Uh, it was also completely unsuccessful, and generally she was just quite amenable about not being queen in the first place, so mm. Mm. not very battley. Catherine Howard had a little tiff with Mary, but it didn't really come to anything. Okay. So Don't remember that. Not very much I'd have given her a point for the whole block thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. a point for that then. We mm. gave, give her a slightly higher score this time around. Mm. Just one that on the notes if anyone's making them. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Seymour did usurp Anne as queen, which is quite an impressive thing to do. Did she? She did. Well, yeah, because she does the, the same, same thing day. that Anne did. But that was the thing. It was the same as Anne. You likened it to Jane Seymour being some 41, Anne Boleyn being the Ramones. I did. <laughs> Golly. Well, yes, I agree with myself. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> and also there was the fact that it felt like there were maybe other people kind of leading her and telling her what to do. So again, it was like the management telling her, these are the courts, No, this it stands up. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. Now, Catherine Parr had a bit more agency uh, than the other ones. As we said, she embraces her destiny as queen, even though she didn't want to marry Henry, and she definitely knows what comes with the territory mm. of marrying Henry. Yeah. So fair enough there. Keeps the country secure when she is regent uh, at a time of war, albeit she doesn't face an invasion like Catherine yeah. of Aragon did. Um, and she promotes religious reform at great risk to herself. 
So why, do, why is she um, Dolly Parton again? Uh, that's more subjectivity. Oh, okay, fine. Than the battliness. Yeah, yeah. Yeehaw's misleading me there. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Yeehaw, <laughs> let's kill some Scots. <laughs> Yeehaw, here's some free books for children. Exactly. <laughs> um, perhaps the reason why we didn't score her more, she was maybe a little bit overconfident with Henry, thinking that she could manipulate and control him, which almost gets her oh, yeah. uh, into quite fatal uh, trouble. And then she's only able to survive by submitting herself, um, which meant that her influence thereafter was quite significantly diminished. So good on her for surviving, but it did limit that ability to then be quite as feisty and independent. I always I love the, I love the um, living to fight another day thing, though. I think that we should honor the, like give that more points as well. Talk about <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone's keeping notes. <laughs> yeah, sure. must be. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the big two hitters have got to be Anne Boleyn and Catherine of Aragon yeah. when it comes to battliness. Catherine uh, of Aragon, of course, top scorer, and perhaps because she has actual battliness. Because when she is regent of England, Scotland, under King James IV, invade with the biggest invasion force we ever have from Scotland into England. Really? About 40,000 troops. Crikey. Hmm. So Catherine, daughter of warrior monarchs, uh, very much in her element with all of this going on. Not She's phased. She's not phased, sees to all the arrangements. She arranges to have three armies set up. So the first one under Norfolk goes off to fight. Then there's the second one, and she's actually leading the third army in reserve in case it's needed. That is the uh, Game of Thrones idea of a medieval queen. Isn't yeah. it? Like, just fully in control of armies on a board. Love it. Now, she wasn't at the subsequent Battle of Flodden, but it was a magnificent victory for... Uh, for the English, um, and James IV of Scotland is killed, and Catherine shows her bloodthirsty nature by writing to Henry afterwards, apologising that the nobles were basically a bit too dainty to let her send the bloodied corpse of the king like she wanted to do. She had to make do with just his coat. Wow. So that's she not the side of Catherine you usually see depicted no, on telly. No, not at all, but I sort of... I'm, imp I'm impressed. Mm. Um, I think I'm also impressed because that's exactly the, the battle and victory that Henry would have dreamed of. Well, exactly, yeah. And he was off in France, yeah. missing the battle that he was winning. Prancing around in his little big cob piece. <laughs> <laughs> now, Anne can't compete with that, but she does have plenty of agency. With his cod piece. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one to Anne. Uh, she, can't, uh, she makes herself queen. You know, Catherine, it's by diplomacy and whatnot, but Anne has to yeah. actually make herself queen, yeah. which no one has really done before. No one's really usurped their predecessor before. Um, and she does it by demanding marriage, which is an incredible thing to ask, but an even more incredible thing to get. Um, yeah. As we said, she got it, really. She got through that stalemate by showing him those religious texts, which was pretty brave in itself, because those were heretical, technically. Mm. Mm. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. Mm. But he was head of the church. Was he head of the church by then? No, but they say, you could be head of the church. And he's like, mm, I could oh. cut your head off or I could make myself head of yeah, the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make as myself head of the church. As soon as that slips. And later yeah. also. You always get to do both of you, Henry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Keep the slip. Keep the slip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to see how the marriage would have happened, really, other than waiting for Catherine to die without Anne being there to... It's impressive push. when looked at it like that. Mm. It? And of course, you know, we're talking battliness for comparing the two queens. Anne defeats Catherine. She displaces her as Queen of England. Oh, you nasty piece of work. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that shows her I've, I've found myself landing. <laughs> I feel like one is a um, political stab in the back and the other is 
probably misplaced glorious battlefield victory. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also Catherine, of course, didn't go down without a fight. Um, she's often depicted as a passive victim, but actually she fought hard against Catherine, uh, Henry's efforts. It took six years. Yeah. As we said, he bests him in debate. She uses those connections. Uh, well, actually, here's another way of looking at it. She didn't... Uh, uh, it wasn't actually Anne mm. that defeated Catherine. It was she, Catherine was always going to lose because she was uh, up against Henry. And when she was, was up against the rules Henry, whenever he lost. Yeah, and that still took six years. Mm. As soon as, uh, what's the other one? Anne Boleyn <laughs> was up against Henry, chop her head off, easy. Well, that's the thing, yes. It takes Henry a long time to displace Catherine, yeah. and she so never she submits. Whereas once Anne loses her favour, all falls apart very yeah, quickly. Yeah, that's not fair, is it? Because Anne's just on shaky ground generally. Well, it? and Catherine's got the backing of the Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah. Henry yeah. really can't touch her. Yeah. Anne's really doing it all off her own back. So, yeah. But yeah, that is Catherine Aragon and Berlin. Where, where do you what do you reckon? Battliness alone. Oh, I wish stuff. I sort of wish it was a um, draw. Mm. I wish we'd sc- somehow sort of made it a draw. Like we've never rigged any of the scores, but it'd be nice, serendipitous, mm. if it were. But what what do we end up scoring then? Who Anne was eighteen. Catherine nineteen and a half. Oh, good, good. Yeah, fine. Stick with that. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I want, really. I think. Next factor. Uh, scandal. Yes. So for scandal, we're looking for insalubrious behaviour, bedroom antics, murder, corruption, anything that makes the front pages of the tabloids. Rewarding bad behaviour, you could say, but it all adds to the legend. Again, it's a very clear split in terms of the scores, right down the middle. Catherine of Aragon and Anne of Cleves both score zero for scandal. Um, Fine. Jane Seymour scores just four. Uh, for scandal? Yeah. Hang on. We'll come to it. <laughs> okay. Jump up to Catherine Parr again in third with 11 and a half, but way out in front, we've got Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. God, that's what you thing. mean. Yes, yes, thank you, yeah. <laughs> Who both got perfect 20s for scandal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Again, they're, they're perfect in their own respective ways. Yeah. Com- they're completely distinct. So again, the low score is quickly. Anne of Cleves and Jane Seymour, not there for very long. They're both quite humble and amenable characters that never really ruffle mm. any feathers. Mm. Um, Catherine Rowgan could have scored highly if you think that she was lying when she swore on the Bible and on oath, etc., that she never consummated her marriage to Prince Arthur. No way. I reckon she was so devout. Right? There's no way she was lying. Yeah, but you know, she was an ambassador. She knew how to dissimulate. I know, I can't buy it. Mm. Well, that's why she got a score of zero. So we thought probably telling the truth. If you think that she was lying, it would go up. It would go up loads. It would. But for us, it didn't. So she's down on zero. Uh, Catherine Parr scored pretty well for Scandal. Um, She caused a stir when she marries Thomas Seymour very quickly after Henry died, just a few months, which was rather undue haste. Uh, Given well, it was the king and she should have been mourning him for a year. Yeah, no one's buying any of that anymore. <laughs> Henry's just been ruling. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, but it's so quick. If she'd fallen immediately pregnant, they could have claimed oh. Henry was the father of the child and thus had a stake in the succession should Edward die. Oh, and was it? It wasn't quick enough for that to be an issue, but you know, it could have been, and they were people that weren't in the Regency Council that thought they should have been, so you never oh. know. Could have been a bit of political marriage as well as a loved one. A darker episode, of course, was when Seymour has his dalliance with Elizabeth. Yeah. 
um, which isn't Catherine, but she's very slow on the uptake, so she seems to be in denial. So she actually went and accompanied him on some of his morning visits, tickling her in bed. Oh, trying to take her away. It's horrible. Um, she does send her away, but it's not, not her finest hour, no. I think it's fair to say. But, I mean, it, it's impossible. Who knows how you deal with it? Yeah, like and ultimately, there's no suggestion of any impropriety as Queen, mm. which is one of the reasons that Henry is taken with her. Um, so, for scandal, it's really got to be either Anne Boleyn or Catherine Howard. The two cousins, 20 of 20s, um, only two English queens to face execution, both condemned for adultery. Yeah. You probably see why they got 20. Yeah. Now, instinctively, I suspect many people would probably think that Anne Boleyn is the more controversial of the two. Her biography, descri- her biography described as the most controversial woman ever to have become Queen Consort of England. That's fair, right? Good quote for us and scandal as well, obviously. Mm. First English queen to effectively usurp her predecessor, and she does so by inspiring the Reformation, which of course is huge upheaval mm. uh, in English history. Um, lots of dark legends alleged to have poisoned Bishop Fisher, mm. Catherine Rarigan's chief uh, protagonist. Basically says she'll murder Mary if she's ever left as regent. If Henry mm. leaves the country, she'll just kill his daughter. Um, and she is, of course, the first English queen to be executed as well. Uh, on charges of adultery with uh, five men, one of whom is her own brother. We don't have any room up in sort of the attic for a 21 or a 22 score, do we? Well, that's the thing. It doesn't seem a big enough score, and yeah. yet most historians will tell you that Anne was innocent of those charges. I'm not sure that matters, though, when it comes to... Like <laughs> <laughs> it didn't <laughs> matter, did it? Henry, I'm not sure about <laughs> doesn't actually matter. Gosh, I just want Henry. to cut her head off. <laughs> I'm the ghost of Henry. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, uh, as far as her score goes, mm. because well, she to be the first queen to have your head cut off mm. on, f- on th- that crime, for that crime... That you didn't commit. That you didn't commit, it's just... You could argue that's Henry's the really scandalous one. Because even 500 years later, we can disprove most of the alleged adulteries because we know that the people weren't in the places they were meant to be in. Coupled with the usurping of Catherine through political guile Mm. and uh, manipulating Henry's totally childish, emotional (laughs) (laughs) arsenal. Uh, (laughs) um, But still, we've got Anne Boleyn, probably innocent of the crimes, and yet Catherine Howard, most people think, probably was guilty. Yeah, but so I surely that should be more scandalous. It should be, but it's just so, uh, so obvious. It's she's a very, very young girl, in mm. massively out of her depth, uh, had been abused, and is incredibly lonely. Like something was going to go wrong there. Mm. Uh, um, Anne Boleyn. Crikey, most she's, it's because she was, had so much more agency, I guess. In it all. That's the thing, Catherine feels more of a victim, I guess, doesn't yeah. she? She's so young, yeah. she's not really got much choice in the matter, whereas Anne is at least actively engaged in yeah. her relationship. But I can see why they've both got 20. Yeah, but Catherine is the one that's thought guilty. She denies actually sleeping with Culpepper, as does Culpepper. Uh, but when under question, as a sort of clever way of getting out of it, he said, no, but we were minded to, but we didn't. <laughs> to which one courtier says, that's already too much. Yes, I retract that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 20 out of 20 for both of them. Do you, you still leaning toward Anne, you think? Even yeah. though not necessarily guilty yeah. of those big crimes. Uh, s- she's got to be on the front page of Scandal News. <laughs> like the, I, I, um, all of my cultural references were set in 1991, and I can't escape them, but Anne Boleyn has got the WWF big heavyweight belt. Okay, yeah. She, uh, Catherine Howard? Yes. 
has the intercontinental one. Still a champion? <laughs> I mean, I could have used a boxing analogy there. That might have been better. Yeah. But still pretty tenuous. But anyway, good both champions okay. and wins. <laughs> right, next factor. Yes. Uh, subjectivity. <laughs> So this is sort of how well they, well, I guess, rule or, you know, cultural stuff, doing good deeds mm. rather than bad. It's mm. what we're looking for here. Who would you want to be your consort, essentially? So we've got Catherine Howard down at the bottom uh, in sixth place with just five points. Then it's Anne of Cleves off mm. the bottom, finally, uh, with six points. Anne Boleyn with eight. Jane Seymour third with 11 and a half. And then the top, we have Catherine of Aragon with 16 and Catherine Parr at the very, very top with 18. This is what I want to hear about Yeehaw. Yeehaw, Catherine Parr. First at the bottom again, Catherine Howard. She was quite promising, weirdly. She doesn't have any enemies at court. Shows herself above faction. She intercedes to save Thomas Wyatt, a reformer from treason. Mm. Um, but, you know, it all falls apart very, very quickly. Mm. No particular legacy. Anne of Cleves saves the country and Henry an awful lot of bother by being so amenable to getting out yeah, of that marriage. Good, yeah. And yeah. generally seems to be pretty kind and considerate, but doesn't, again, otherwise get to really do anything. Active. Mm. It's like getting in the Guinness Book of Records of growing your fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't really done anything. Mm. Not doing something isn't is doing something. But see how fast you can run with them. Then I'll be <laughs> impressed. Um, Amber Lynn is an important though divisive figure in the Reformation. She protects uh, preachers uh, from charges of heresy on the front line. There are ten bishoprics that fall vacant uh, during her time as queen, and seven of them she fills with her sort of clients, her, my bishops as she calls them, and they go on to be key figures in the reigns of Edward and Elizabeth. Clever. So she's a key figure in the Reformation, not just inspiring it, but actually the continuation of it um, as well. Um, but also, as you said, very divisive and doesn't, you know, isn't very nice to Catherine and Mary. Jane Seymour's personality probably more suited to subjectivity than Anne's. Um, she embraces the traditional queenly role of intercessor, so she's able to speak up to Henry on subjects she knows he doesn't want to hear about. So she succeeds in getting Mary brought back to court oh, yeah. and forgiven yeah, yeah, by yeah. Henry. Doesn't succeed quite so much with asking him to forgive the uh, rebels in the Pilgrimage of Grace, but you know, showing good willing that she mm. asked. Don't yeah. ask, don't get. Yeah, true, and it's on the record. Exactly, might get your head cut off if you ask mm. again. Henry makes pretty clear, but nevertheless. <laughs> um, and after the drama of Anne Boleyn, Jane seems to sort of calm everything down a bit. Mm. The Spanish ambassador describes her as the peacemaker. And it's interesting, if she had lived, Secure with a son, yeah. pressures off. Maybe it would have been a bit more tranquil that final decade of Henry's reign. Yeah, and he would have been free to take mistresses without it becoming some sort of global rift. Yeah. Mm. The heady days. <laughs> uh, but it's the battle between uh, Catherine Howard and Cath not Catherine Howard, Catherine Parr and Catherine of Aragon. I think for subjectivity, and they're quite similar in many ways here. Uh, the only two wives, of, only two of Henry's wives, to act as regent for the country. Oh, yeah. Now, Catherine Aragon, of course, has got a little bit more experience here. She'd been the ambassador mm. before she was raised to be a queen, so she's mm. maybe a bit more suited to it. Catherine Parr has to learn on the job. So yeah, yeah, it's like a, yeah, feels like a, a new newcomer-type mm. vibe who's just taking up the rule book. Yeah, they both leave a legacy uh, from these roles. Uh, Catherine of Aragon raises Mary to be England's first queen consort, uh, queen regnant, sorry. Mm. I, the ruling queen, which of course she is. Uh, Catherine Parr has a major influence on Elizabeth, future Elizabeth I. Elizabeth is with Catherine during that regency, at her side, witnessing a woman ruling and you know, directing oh, cool. the business estate. And the regency does seem to be in a bit of a model for Elizabeth's queenship. You can see quite similar issues she's dealing with and quite similar approach 
yeah. how she governs as well. Oh, I remember that's, that's one of the reasons why she had like a proto-Elizabeth yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, both women are patrons of education. Catherine of Aragon funded schools and colleges, uh, commissions the highly influential treaties for the education of girls, because there wasn't an appropriate one for Mary, so she gets one written. Oh, cool. Um, Catherine Parr commissions many of the leading artists of the time, particularly portraiture and miniature, including the first known female artist in England. Who was that? Uh, well, there are quite a few of them, actually. Susan Horambeau is one of them, Lavinia of the Key or something, although there are quite a few of them, but they're the first named ones that we actually okay. have. But I don't know those names. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> history knows Am the I names. meant to know those The names? point is that history knows the names, okay, so we're good. able to say these are actually people that we know lived and did stuff. <laughs> There's no test. Okay, thank God, because <laughs> I, I don't remember them already, and you might well have been making them up. <laughs> uh, Catherine Park also intercedes with Henry to save Cambridge University from dissolution, which resulted in the foundation of Trinity College. What do you mean? So, because it was a sort of a foundation, it could have been dissolved along with the monasteries because there was lots of money, Henry thought, yep, I think I might like the money from here oh, as well. Right, but she yeah. says, I think we should have this place doing As just a teaching education. place. Yeah. yeah. Who's that, Catherine Parr? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were both committed to improving the lives of their subjects. Catherine Aragon started a programme of poor relief. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's all right. You can <laughs> what if one of those <laughs> survived? <laughs> Uh, she interceded to uh, save the lives of rioters in 1517, and her almsgiving was so, so as in giving out money and things <laughs> to the poor, uh, was so integral to her queenship that Henry later on actually banned her from doing it uh, because the alms she had been accustomed to give have attracted the love of the people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliantly out of touch, isn't it? Mm. That's um, let them eat cake stuff. Yeah. Is that true? Is that one of those things that you should no, actually yeah, say? Yeah. Mm. We'll do a special. We'll do a special. <laughs> Catherine Parr's greatest legacy is shaping the Protestant Reformation, most impressively writing and publishing her own devotional works uh, so that she could spread the word as far as possible. Um, these were key texts in the reigns of uh, Edward VI and Elizabeth I. First published works by an English uh, queen consort, or in queen at all, and by any woman in English in the 16th century. That's brilliant, isn't it? She, she reminds me of um, a Puritan... Uh, Hundred years later, mm, yeah, hundred yeah. years later, <laughs> who uh, like is ju uh, she asked God mm. if she should marry Henry? She's totally using it as a platform to mm. get that out there. Exactly. She's uh, she's Greta, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, all right. So it's one of those where you change from her being one thing to another thing, but it's still a thing that you like. So that's fine. So that's fine. Exactly right. <laughs> God, I love you, Graham. <laughs> Criticisms of them, Catherine Aragon, if she had just rolled over and let the annulment happen, that would have saved a lot of bother. The Reformation might not have happened, all sorts of stuff. Mm. But I think really Henry deserves to take the flack for that more than Catherine Aragon. Yeah. Yeah, good yeah. idea. God, yeah. That was just him wanting sweets in the sweet shop. It is indeed, but some people have criticised Catherine for that, saying if you had actually just gone along with it, maybe a bit too much pride ended up biting off everybody's face. Whatever the phrase <laughs> is. <laughs> no, it your was face worse than that, Graham. I don't want to give it away, but it was genuinely worse than a face bite. <laughs> whole thing off. Catherine Parr, sort of in a way, kind of helps to resolve some of those issues. As I said, brings all of the children back under one household, really, for the first time. Mm. And Catherine Parr got Elizabeth and Mary back into the succession, the line of succession, legally, ah. which is quite key, obviously, when Edward VI dies without children. But not queen for very long, and her influence is a bit diminished, particularly when she marries Thomas Seymour. Yeah. That's really unfortunate. But, big scoring, both doing an awful lot. Who do you think you would have liked your queen to be? 
I would as, have a, as a subject rather than just mm. Henry. <laughs> uh, I think Catherine Parr. Mm. I don't know if that's because I would like to meet her more. <laughs> but uh, if they're both, I just think I like her a lot. Mm. Uh, she seems. Uh, I was going to say less pious, but she actually, I've just made a completely different comparison before when she said she was like a Puritan. Yeah, in a way, equally pious. The, the yeah. weird thing, they're very similar in many ways, and yet they're complete opposite ends of the religious spectrum. So oh. you can imagine Catherine of Aragon approving of almost everything Catherine Parr does, except the main thing she does. Yeah. But like, like fundamentalists of today, actually mm. being <laughs> incredibly yeah. similar. I imagine they get on in personality type, just fundamentally different. They'd be levels. absolutely loving it until suddenly they just, someone says something like, oh no, no, hang on, hang on, you must mean the complete opposite of what you said. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that would be heresy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Slaughter everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, next factor. We've got uh, two factual ones coming up now. Oh, uh, longevity. Yes! Do you want to? Longevity. <laughs> So this is how long they were queen for, so no debating here, it's just a fact. So it's really one against all the rest. Catherine of Aragon is queen for just under 24 years. That is more than the other five wives combined. Whew. And it's not more than the, just more than them combined, it's double oh. them combined. So she's queen for just under 24 years. The rest of them put together is nine years and nine months. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? So is the, and this is all... Post 1537? So 1533 mm. is when he marries Anne and obviously nulls Catherine. Okay. So from 1533 to 1547, five wives. And remember that there's like three years where he's when married he to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's got the ring of um, football manager, m managers and stuff to it. It's like they had a very stable, it's, you know, it's like he was married to Alex Ferguson and then it's like, we should be yeah. winning a trophy every year, what's going on? Completely, yeah, and then throwing his toys out of pram Roman Abramovich. <laughs> so, she wins for longevity, I think that's fair mm. to say. Next. Dynasty. Not the programme. <laughs> so here we're looking for legitimate surviving children. Um, and of course, we've got, again, it's very much a split. The first three wives, Catherine Rauga and Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, each produced one surviving child. And by surviving, we mean surviving Henry. Oh, yeah, of course. Key yeah. thing there. Um, or, 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 yeah, whichever is first to die. So in this case, it's surviving Henry. The other three don't have any surviving children by Henry. So Catherine Parr's child that she has survives her, but it's not Henry's, therefore it's okay. not part of the dynasty. Henry would argue that Jane should get the top score here because, of course, she has the son and heir. Mm-hmm. Ergo better. Catherine Rowagan, you might say, well, she has the first queen regnant in English history. Yeah, they've all got something, haven't Whereas they? Whereas Anne Boleyn is, of course, mother to Elizabeth I, who many would say is the best. Well, yeah. Well, one of the best monarchs in English well, history. Yeah. Didn't she? What did she? Second, wasn't it? She came second when we did the original playoffs, but she won our Twitter poll for our 10th yeah, anniversary. That's, <laughs> that's fantastic pedigree there, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Final question, though whether they have that certain something, the great achievement, the lasting legacy, the star quality that we call... Rex Factor. Yes, I was wondering if everyone was coming. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> the tentative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it again. That we call... Rex Factor. Hey. Well, thank you. <laughs> now, it's not all about the scores here, but we will nevertheless tell yeah. you the scores. Anne of Cleves, poor Anne of Cleves is bottom, which is seven points. Poor Anne of Cleves is bottom. <laughs> 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 That's the last they're making fun of her face before. Mm. Then we've got fifth in score as well as in order, Catherine Howard with 
Jane Seymour, 38.5. Catherine Parr, 48.5. That's and low, isn't it? Well, well it's because of the longevity in Dynasty oh. just really messes with almost all of Henry's wives. <laughs> That's a big uh, advantage for Catherine, Catherine Aragon. Yeah. Uh, but incredibly, Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, as Ali said, we never sought out the scores in advance, but they ended up with exactly the same score. Both got 58. <laughs> and both had level scores. We couldn't so separate them. Uh, so Catherine won the one that I was worried about. Uh, battliness. Yeah. Which one did she lose to scandal. scandal? Oh yeah, and I'm annoyed about that as well. Uh, sorry. I think she should win overall now. Oh. So swear <laughs> you. <laughs> well, you could say there's an argument <coughs> for each of them. Um, some might say a bit of a you know outside the box. Anne of Cleves is the true survivor. She's the one who emerges the least scathed by Henry. Maybe that you know life retiring to your country estates, maybe yeah. that's the better way to go. Maybe that's actually the best. That's what I thought until the whole wanting back in Wanted and so it gave back. the survival a bit of a sense of failure yeah. to it. Where <laughs> yeah. she, she, it wasn't her wanting that. Mm. Whereas um, Catherine Parr could go on, um, you know, I don't know, giving kids school books. books. Yeah. yeah. Catherine Howard, some ways the most relatable uh, of the Catherine wives. Howard. The boarding school and... Relatable. Yeah, just in terms of it's a... Well, I mean, you were going through... Well, I remember in the episode, you were always saying, yeah, this is literally just my, my, t- my childhood. Also, oh, not the yes. Bit. Yeah, I mean, relatable as in I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah, yeah, I didn't mean she's the one you're most closely related to. <laughs> well, do you never know around this well, you do subject. Like, of course you're related well, to all of them I mean, I was worried you meant clearly relatable as in that's the one you most would like to be... You wouldn't want the fate, but I guess it's, it's, it's the story you can understand the most. She falls I in love, she has fun, does all this stuff. It's the one that still happens today. Yes. Whereas all the others are... Oldie time. Oldie time things that mm. you sort of forgive a bit. Jane Seymour was the one Kath, uh, that Henry VIII, of course, would say is the best because she had the son yeah. and he's married, well, married to her, he died and then was buried with her. So she's the one he's actually with in death. Yes. And in portraits, even when he was married to other wives, he had himself painted with Jane Seymour. Because he could, he could, he's such a vile creature, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, um, uh, it's me. <laughs> but, no, but he could, he could have, he, the reason is that he could claim that as a victory. And so he saw that all mm. the way through, that one. Yeah. Uh, well, none of that was my fault. Yes. Uh, so I am capable. This was the real wife. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Catherine Parr, a bit of a dark horse, often overlooked, but she was a highly effective consort, perhaps more sympathetic than the two big Who? hitters in some way. Catherine Parr. Yeah. Yeehaw. She's brilliant, yeah. Yeah. Who? Look, what? Goes oh, without, yeah. Goes without saying, yeah. Uh, but can you compete with the two big hitters? Catherine Rauch and Anne Boleyn are famous for a reason. Catherine's remarkable courage and tenacity, that bloodthirsty, you know, defeating the King of Scots, fighting against Henry and all of his legal Is the question mites. who's the best? It's who's the best. But Anne Boleyn, perhaps the most famous personal story in English royal history. It's very e- easy to take that for granted, but that actually happened. That was somebody's life. It wasn't just part of our Amazing, legend. And, you know, does anyone else really change English history more than Literally Anne Boleyn? The Reformation is not just a love story. It actually really changes the whole course of English history of the Reformation. As, as a TV show, one of those storylines would be enough, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> That's why they're, they're always flounders. Too much to fit in. Too much to fit in, yeah. Well, thankfully, it's not us that has to decide who is the greatest of the six wives. 
I mean, I've you got, could let us know at the end. Oh, no, I've changed my mind again. Because well, I'm Catherine Parr now, and it was definitely Catherine Parr. I don't know what I want. Yeah. Uh, you should hopefully all, uh, you in the audience, of course, have uh, voting slips. Now, Ali told me when we were preparing for this that he had literally thousands of uh, pencils that he could give away. It turned out that he had about ten. <laughs> so there are a few distributed. Um, if you have your own pen or pencil, that would be great. Like somewhere I've got a box of golf pencils. <laughs> that I say golf pencils, screw fix pencils, mm. and a day like a carrier bag full. I suspect they've um, now. So we've got there are a couple of people over here. We've got um, with a uh, a bag. Oh yeah. Mm. So when you're ready, when you've done your vote, I think they're going to come along and collect, and then very kindly they will be counting up the votes. Okay, so the votes are going to be uh, counted now. So while the votes are being counted. Um, if anyone's got any questions you'd like to ask us, be it about the Six Wives, about Henry VIII, other kings and queens, or just anything else at all, then uh, please do. We've got our hands up straight away. I have a theory that Anne Boleyn is the Boris Johnson of her generation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is nonsense. <laughs> okay, I'll elaborate if you will. So, very charismatic. Yeah. Brought down by her own Mm -hmm. So Catherine Parr completes this, whereas uh, we're still in a mess right now. But um, that's kind of my, my general... I didn't have the bravery to say it, but halfway through I thought there's some, there's, there's some <laughs> satire in here, but I might get that confused. <laughs> so, if yeah. that, so if that wasn't picked up on the, on the, on the mics, and that was the theory is that Anne Boleyn is the Boris Johnson of the uh, 16th century, not finishing things that she started, the uh, hubris being brought down. I guess, who's the Henry VIII in Boris's situation? Well, Queen Elizabeth like II. Uh, oh, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. So I'm being punished. Oh. I'm being punished. Too soon. <laughs> no, I was generally just making the comparison. Didn't she you? is the Queen. Yeah, that is literally exactly. the same. I was going to say Charles III, but I thought a bit more about it, but not enough. British <laughs> economy? Uh, yeah. It's tricky. I feel that that's where, that's where Anne gets her, uh, her defence against the charge. Is that I think there isn't a Henry VIII in this scenario, maybe. So maybe Boris has got a bit more about Henry than, uh, <laughs> than Anne. <laughs> Thank you. There. Any other questions or observations, I suppose? Yes? Uh, I have a question and a comment. Okay. Uh, Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Uh, so the comment was to thank our partners for all of the uh, time and support they give us, um, which is very, very oh, fair. My partner that. helps me uh, like with editing the scripts and stuff that I do, which has really, really helped for when we record and it's all a bit more organised. Ali's partner r is really the one that deserves the sympathy <laughs> because <laughs> <she> <laughs> My partner helps me. <laughs> Just tries <laughs> to get him into any kind of place, and sure enough, he usually ends up at A and E. <laughs> yeah. Literally today, Ali was at yeah. A and E. <laughs> so. um, 
But the, the question was, uh, now that we're hitting our stride in uh, podcasting in our third series, would we change anything about the first series? To which the answer is yes, absolutely loads. Yeah. Um, the microphones and sound quality we change. You know, when we first were doing it, we had one USB mic in sort of the middle table. Ali was literally lying down, nowhere near the mic. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, th I would definitely go, uh, have just said to myself, so you want to uh, record a podcast? Uh, you should probably get some really good, um, good microphones, Ali. Yeah, sit um, up straight. Sit up straight, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but that's the wisdom of age, isn't it? I think I'd also probably be less guarded on the early ones. Am I? I presume I was. I forget. No, I think probably less, if anything. Uh, I think because really? when you first do them, you don't imagine actually people will be watching yeah. them or that you'll be doing it There's 13 years later on stage. Yeah. <laughs> in a, a completely different place. Point, yeah. I mean, for me, I do so much more research now than I did back then. And I don't know how, because even at the end of that series, when we did the playoffs, and I was going back to my original notes, I was looking at, like, for Alfred and Athelstan and Canute, and I thought, I, lit I, can't, I can't use these. I don't know how I did it at the time. I must have just memorised it and had a few little bullet points. Um, but, I'd, you know, I had to re-research them. So, yeah, I'd love... It would be nice one day when we have a bit more time to go back and do them again with the amount of research that I do now compared to then. Um, and we'll see if Ali can escape another sort of 10 years of people criticising him for Edgar the Feastable. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward... <coughs> I'm looking forward to going back, because we're doing a special on Edred, aren't we? Uh, Edgar the Ethling, that's a different person. Well, uh, yeah, him, who we've always wanted... When is we that mention soon? him a lot, but we've not actually done an episode it's yet. It's soon, isn't it, though? Yeah, soonish. OK, yeah, I'm looking forward to revisiting those guys. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Have you each got a consort coming up that you're particularly excited about? Ooh, have we each got a consort coming up that we're particularly excited about? I mean, for Ali, it's going to be a question of do you know who's coming up? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I will... Yeah. Uh, Until the 20th century, <laughs> I've got a fingernail grasp. I mean, <laughs> I'm just thinking Hen Henrietta and Flora? Henry Blois seems to be your go-to when you don't, not sure, they're, they're off somewhere, we'll just say Blois. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where is it? Henrietta Maria. Charles, Charles the First's Oh, uh, that's not even who I mean then. Do you mean Charles the Second? Yeah. Uh, it's Catherine of Braganza. Yeah. Hmm. Are you looking Thanks. forward to her or are you just looking forward to being in Charles's world I again? I think that. <laughs> I think yeah. that, but that's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That'll do. Um, oh, thanks. These are the oh. pop We got the results. Shall uh, I'm really looking alley. forward to hearing what you, who you're looking forward who to. Who am I looking forward to? Yeah. Well, I mean, the next one we're doing is um, Philip II of Spain, which is going to be an interesting one. So the first chap of the series, and we're having to sort of limit him because he's such a big figure in history that we can't do all of that. So we're just focusing on the English bit. So that'll be good. I think when we get to uh, Caroline, George IV's consort, I think that one's going to be quite a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's sort of like a Henry VIII situation where you're no longer sort of supreme being on earth and can do whatever you want. And it becomes charming. Uh, well, it doesn't become charming so much as you just get humiliated because when you don't win the legal arguments, you just lose the legal arguments uh. and you don't really have any recourse to chopping people's heads off. Oh, that's good. So it'll be a what bit more fun yeah. rather than grisly. Yeah, less grisly. I, on uh, actually thinking about the answer, I think I'm thinking, looking forward to George III as well. Mm. Who's his consort? Uh, Charlotte. Yeah, I want to swim in those waters again. Hmm. Uh, any other questions from anyone? Yeah, one right in front. Would you consider doing the Kings and Kings of France for your next series? 
would we consider doing the Kings of France for our next series? Because it would just be the Kings, because they uh, specifically don't have Queens. Is that right? Yeah, Salic law. Can't even pass the royal line through women. So what do they, what? Only, where do the only next royal men. Come, where do they arrive from? <laughs> they come from, well, it does technically pass through women, but it's the male bit that they accept as being royal. What is the, what I, who do they say that is? <laughs> Not By a legitimate claimant to the throne. Yeah, it's, defi- it's definitely on the short list, the uh, Kings of France. It's definitely one that we're thinking about. Is it Seriously, what's the name? Do they not have a name for the Queen? Well, they are Queen, but they can't claim <laughs> the throne isn't claimed oh, through ooh. them. Sorry, big wasp. We've just got a bug flying mm. around us. So yeah, we're definitely thinking about that. It's one of the options. We haven't decided yet, but yeah, they're definitely on our hit list for some point. I think there's another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the question was, first series, we talked about who we'd like to go to a party with, Charles II, obviously. <laughs> Is there a consort that we'd like to go for a party with? I feel like absolutely. There's been loads that I would ask you that question. <laughs> loads that I would ask you if you can remember if there yeah. was any that I... But I feel, I feel like I have had that emotion. When was it, Graham? With any of today's ones, the six, any of the six that you think I'd like to have a... Uh, Catherine Parr? Yeah. Yeah, Catherine but Parr. I feel like there were uh, some... I don't know, I, mean, I think I'm, I think in the episode you said that Catherine Howard you like, I think I'm pretty much new. <laughs> Newer Catherine Howard yeah. in my time. I don't, I don't think I necessarily liked Catherine Don't want to repeat Howard. that experience, yeah. but I, <laughs> I, th- I just... I see you. Yeah, yeah Catherine Parr's got a sense of someone that I think would be good to spend time with. Enjoy, but I don't, she, I don't know if she'd be a party one as much. Who, um, Eleanor? Eleanor. Oh, oh, the question is party, yeah. Dinner party. Dinner, dinner party. party, okay. Dinner party, yeah. Dinner party, Catherine Parr definitely has a, an approachable feel to her. I think it feels like someone you could actually chat with. It's like Catherine of Aragon is amazing, but perhaps she does feel that a little bit more, slightly less relatable, medieval, monarchy sort of figure. This from old EU law, I whereas Catherine Parr somehow seems like a real human being a bit more. Yeah, but I'm sort of really annoyed that I don't have a ready answer to that question. Mm. I knew I'm going to stew on that. Mm. I'll come back to you. Ali stews. <laughs> I saw a hand up somewhere over here and there's another one there, so it's dark over here. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to second the vote for Kings of France. <laughs> Mm. So that question is, have we ever considered doing any other categories or replacing any other categories? I think if we, d- if, if we started doing something different, like if we ever did like prime ministers or something, I think we'd need yeah. to do something yeah. different with the categories. Um, I, don't know, I, feel, I feel like we've done quite, I feel, feel like it covers the things we want yeah, to cover. Yeah, there's enough. The ones that would fall in under those categories neatly, is there's enough in the tank yeah. to last for years, isn't there? Especially <laughs> if we ever do czars or stuff like that. There. Yeah. We'd have to confront it, I think, if, it, if we sh- slipped away from monarchy. We struggled a bit, I guess, with longevity and dynasty for a while, because it felt like particularly longevity unfair when you had a really rubbish king who just survives for a long time. Because yeah. originally we just gave them however many years they have, so you'd have Henry VI, who was pretty useless, but he was there for ages, so he got a really good score, and we thought, no, no, this isn't right. <laughs> but now that we've got a slightly more uh, yeah. mathematical system with the spreadsheet, who helped that? Oh, we've had a few people along the way. Yeah. We've you know we've tweaked it. Yeah, we normally name it after the yeah. person, don't we? But yeah, so I think I think we're happy 
with how it is. But if we veered off just the monarchs, then mm. we'd have to go, have to go with something different. But yes, there was. Yeah. I'd vote for that. Yeah, it'd be, it would be very interesting. So that, that question was whether we would consider doing like the mistresses, who are obviously very influential and lots of scandal and lots of fun. Um, yeah, it'd be definitely great to cover them. I guess that the, the trickier thing with them as a series is that they're not quite as sort of neatly from X to X as, a, as the monarch's line. But there's definitely loads that would be really fun uh, to study. I'd quite like for the mini-series coming up, the way we're doing the Stuarts, which is a new story, I've not talked to you about this, that um, there's a, I think Linda Porter wrote a book about Charles II's mistress, so I'd quite like to talk to her of one of our interview episodes uh, to cover them. We did actually get somebody who did originally commission back in the day a special episode on Charles's mistress, but they then cancelled their subscription before it had been long enough for us to do it, so we didn't, <laughs> we didn't do it. I quite like that. It was a, a uh, parallel mini-series, The Mistresses, that, that is... Uh, it's like Holly, Holly Oaks, Holly, Holly Oaks, Holly Oaks. <laughs> <laughs> Holly Oaks at Night that they did or something, or, oh yeah. or be, bed, Bedtime Holly, what was it? Bedtime Holly Oaks. It was something really weird, but it, it's... No, yeah, it, that was uh, it, yeah. yeah. Rex Factor at Night and it's just the mistresses. <laughs> yeah. That'd be fun. But yeah, that would be fun. But we're sort of moving into the period now where like, there are sort of some names that we've got uh, from the medieval period and and sort of where we are now, where you know a little bit about them, but they're probably not a huge amount biographically. But we're definitely moving into the period now where we actually really know a lot about those women, obviously particularly with Charles, but like when we get to the Georgian period as well, there are lots of really interesting ones. So yeah, it would definitely be really good to do some of those. I don't know if we do it as a full-on series, maybe it could be a little mini-series yeah, or something yeah, one day. Great. But yeah, definitely something would be good to cover. Uh, oh, yeah, again. Do you feel like you got off light <laughs> <laughs> of Edgar. Uh, so that question is, do I think I got off lightly for not giving Isabella of Angoulême the Rex Factor compared to Ali uh, with Edgar the Peaceable? Well, I've been trying to find a uh, comparative uh, hill to die on. <laughs> uh, but the trouble is, my, when I, as a, if I'm trying to be a call to arms around things, I don't have the knowledge. My, so yeah, I'm waiting my, for someone else. One of my favourite ones from that was, because I've been re-listening sort of a long time ago, so I sort of am a bit more distanced from it. Um, and I was listening to one of the ones we did after Matilda of Flanders, who's William's conqueror's wife that I didn't give it to. And he was saying, yeah, this is definitely going to be Graham's one. We're gonna, this is Graham's Edgar. <laughs> and I was like, I will admit that I was wrong, Ali, if you can tell me who this person that we're talking about is. Totally <laughs> 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 rumbled. Yeah, fine. But yeah, Isabella of Angoulême is John's consort, um, and uh, with just this, this chaos, really. She survives John. She's the mother of the young Henry III. Does a great job to get him crowned, um, but then nobody seems to want her around. So she just goes off to France, marries the man who was meant to marry her daughter and who was like the son of the man that she was originally meant to marry, so it was all a bit weird. She keeps dragging Henry into these wars in Europe that cause problems. She tries to raise rebellion against uh, the King of France. Um, that sort of doesn't really go anywhere. So she was a lot of fun. She was really interesting. And I can definitely see a strong argument for her. I just felt like everybody, seeing it from her view, it was almost like um, an unreliable narrator. 
And if you were to do an episode on somebody else, like Blanche of Castile, who was the French uh, queen sort of mother who was kind of ruling person, from that perspective, you'd just be like, oh, who's this irritating person that keeps kicking off? Oh, just go away. You're not really that important. I wonder whether seeing it through her eyes makes her seem a bit more. So I, I still just about stand by it, but she, she does have a certain something. I'm just not sure if it's that certain something. If it's that sense of the Rex factor or something, you just want to <laughs> go away. Um, uh, I can't deny you've got my attention. But yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, she, yeah, it did sound a bit annoying, actually. Did I want to give it to her? Oh, yeah. I'm not sure time-wise whether we need to move on. So, uh, any other questions before we get to the results? We'll be around. If you want to have a chat and come up to us afterwards as well, then uh, feel free. Uh, but I think people probably want to know the results. I do. The official results of who is the best of the six wives. So I can tell you in sixth place with zero votes, <laughs> it's Jane Seymour. Henry VIII ah. will be furious with all of you. <laughs> in fifth place with one vote, uh, Anne of Cleves. Oh, that is surprising, isn't it? I think if I at the start of this series, mm. I would have tried to be clever and <laughs> said, I bet Anne of Cleves comes out of this the best. Mm. And I was sort of annoyed she didn't, but... Mm. Mm. Uh, in fourth place, just above, with two votes, Catherine Howard. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other one that gets her head cut off. Teenage other girl other one. Other to who? Other than Anne Boleyn. <laughs> no, uh, Who's the other one? Who do I get her confused with? <laughs> you confuse her with Jane Seymour, even and though they're not remotely. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Seymour's number three. Henry uh, Edward the Sixth mother dies childbirth. Catherine Howard is I, I just the young honest, one who gets her head cut off. Okay. For the other lots of affairs. Anyway, neither of those have won. They're both done. Okay, I think the uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get a better handle on it when we get to the top two. So the top three uh, were the Rex Factor winners. Uh, so Catherine Rowgan, Anne Boleyn, Catherine Parr, not necessarily in that order, just chronologically. So in third place, with 11 votes, is Anne Boleyn. Wow! So maybe it's subjectivity that has lined people up, or is it battliness? We'll see. We've got Catherine Rowgan, or her goddaughter, Catherine Parr. Conveal that the winner, the best of the six wives of Henry VIII, is Catherine <laughs> of Aragon. Oh. <laughs> uh, and quite comfortably, 18 votes for Catherine Parr, 34 votes for Catherine of Aragon. Oh, really? So it's a bit, maybe longevity was the one actually. So all of the rest of them put together. Is that right? 29, 31, 30? Yes! She got more than all the rest of them combined. So longevity is obviously the main factor when it comes to her. <laughs> That's amazing. She totally destroyed the competition. She did very, very well, didn't she? Wow. Well mm. done. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for the votes. Thank you very much, everybody, uh, for coming. Thank you much uh, to Ludlow for having us here. Thank yeah. you to our partners for their... Uh, they're suffering. Um, if you do want to come up and have a chat with us afterwards, please do. We'll be here. Ali might be sort of coughing and hobbling with his uh, various yeah. chest ailments. I'll try and keep my distance. I mean, again, I'm at the, <laughs> <at> the inquiry. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, thank you very, very much for coming. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh.
Ah, 